Did you know that over 60,000 new tracks are uploaded to Spotify every single day? That's a new track every 1.4 seconds, and that's just on one platform. With so much music now available, it's more important than ever to stand out from the crowd. So it's not surprising that more artists are starting to use less conventional sonic textures in their music, like field recordings. Perhaps you've always wanted to infuse the sounds of nature or your favourite city into your own tracks, but not having the right gear or knowledge might have held you back. Well, if that's the case, you're going to love the brand new guide I just created, teaching you how to start field recording with just a smartphone. And it's all yours for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel. Yep, you really do just need a humble smartphone and some minimal extra gear that doesn't have to break the bank to get started with field recording. And I've laid it all out in this handy five-point checklist. So download it for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel and elevate your music to the next level. Self-releasing may have felt daunting, overwhelming and sometimes not particularly satisfying as a DIY artist. I would still wholeheartedly tell anybody that this process is really worth embarking on, in the conventional sense or otherwise, so please don't let this episode put you off. Self-releasing your music can be one of the most empowering things you'll ever do as a musician. Hello and welcome to Girls Twiddling Knobs. My name's Isabel and over the last decade, my self-produced and self-released music has amassed over 25 million Spotify streams. I also have a PhD in sonic arts, but I wasn't always this confident with music tech. In fact, I still hear those self-doubt gremlins in my head from time to time. I started this podcast to help more female-identifying musicians start recording and producing their music and learn from other women making music with technology. If that's your cup of tea, then you're in the right place, my friend. Let's dive in. Wouldn't it be great to have some easy-to-use, free tools to record your music with? Oh wait, you do, because I've made you a free guide that will introduce you to 10 free tools to start recording your music right now. To grab yours, just head to femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel. That's femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel and download yours today. Well, hello, knob twiddlers, and welcome back to this good vibes only music tech space girls twiddling knobs. I'm so delighted to be here with you again and today we're getting into a very juicy topic which is why I'm not going to be releasing another album or I should say in the conventional sense at least. But don't worry if you're a little rusty on what a conventional music release actually entails, I'm going to be defining this for you dear listener right at the top of this episode. Then we'll take a look at three forces that have disrupted DIY music releasing the most over the last 10 years. They're kind of contradictory because they've also been three of the biggest enablers for indie artists to build a career and an audience. We'll then consider how your own personal circumstances may mean that releasing your music in a conventional sense may not feel possible or attractive and how this is something that we really need to listen to. 
And lastly, we're going to look at how if conventional music releasing isn't working in the same way that it did 10 or 15 years ago for DIY artists, and if you're not feeling it on a personal level, that there could be some very exciting opportunities opening up if we're prepared to move in slightly different directions. And to illustrate this, I'll be finishing up with my own plans for releasing new music in a more unique and personally exciting way. But firstly, as a caveat to everything I'm about to say, if you've never released your music before, or you have but you're truly excited to do it all over again, go on with your bad self. There's absolutely nothing I'm about to say that should dissuade you from doing so. It's just important to understand the limitations of this process and how they may get mixed up with your own stuff as an individual, alongside all of the wonderful opportunities conventional music releasing can bring too. Okay, now I've explicitly stated that. I think we're ready to get into this, dear listener. Let's go. So all over the internet, there's evidence of how much bigger DIY music releasing has become. Whether it's music blogs, other musicians' social media profiles, or podcasts just like this one, it's hard to miss the multiple singles, EPs and albums being dropped on a daily basis by independent artists. So, therefore, we should all be doing it, right? As in, that's how you should share your music as a DIY musician? Well, I'm starting to think not. Exactly. I have released four albums alongside EPs and singles, and I have loved releasing music DIY, but at times I have to admit hated it too, but mostly loved it. I love the creative control, the way it builds a fan base, and the creativity in finding ways to help people listen to what you've been diligently creating for weeks, months, or even years. But I also believe that when something isn't working, it's time to fix it, or at least mix it up a bit. And for me, that's exactly how I feel about releasing my music again. I don't believe that conventional music releasing is as liberating and an effective an experience for DIY musicians as has previously been the case. And there's many reasons why. But for me, there is one main reason why I've started looking for alternative ways of sharing what I do. Simply put, the thought of releasing music no longer excites me. This is a good example of where my own stuff is getting bound up in this question, but it's an important thing for you to reflect on too, dear listener. I don't mean that you should be absolutely 100% loving every aspect of releasing your music. There will be aspects that feel boring and overcomplicated. In fact, it's a good sign if there's certain parts that make you feel a little bit scared, because it shows that you're being ambitious and stretching yourself. Go you. But if, like me, you've released a lot of music before, and maybe, like me, it's had some success, the prospect of releasing your music still needs to excite you. It's going to take time, energy, and even money to push that album out, so you need to want to do it. Now, if you've never released your music and you've been putting it off for months or even years, I implore you to release it, conventionally or otherwise. You will learn as a musician and gain so much and it will be a vital stepping stone in your artistic journey. So now I've flagged that up, let's just identify some key elements of conventional music releasing so we're all clear on what that means. So in case you're not already familiar with the way that music is usually released, here's just a very brief overview so that it's well defined before we move on. 
So usually what happens is an artist will record a new album, meaning eight or more tracks, and while that's happening, they may be sharing little teasers of behind the scenes in the studio, or new artwork, or branding, and they may also be raising money to release the music through platforms such as Kickstarter, or funding grants and awards. Then once the album has been recorded, mixed and mastered, it can be sent off to be pressed in the form of vinyl and CDs, and even cassettes these days if you're feeling super hipster, with whatever money you've managed to raise for the release. While that's happening, a promotional campaign has likely been set in motion, which includes potentially paying for a radio plugger and paying for PR to get your release noticed. You'll then make sure you've pre-uploaded all of your master tracks into a digital distributor so that your music will be available on all streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Music and Deezer, so that once release day comes, everyone can access your music online. You may also set up an online store on a platform like Bandcamp so that you can digitally distribute your physical merch too. This can give people the chance to pre-order your release and support your music after the release too. And once you have your merchandise back and you're getting set up nearing release day, you might send out that merch that people have pre-ordered if they're super fans too. And once your release is out, you would likely do a string of live shows in order to promote it. This is important because it enables you to create more of a buzz in the form of radio coverage and reaching new fans and new cities if you're on tour. It also gives you a platform to sell your physical merchandise, which will then hopefully allow you to break even on whatever you've spent on PR, radio and physical merch too. This conventional model relies on your ability to galvanise listeners through live gigs, radio and online platforms in order for them to go and listen to your music. Sounds pretty simple, right? Or maybe not, maybe you're feeling a bit overwhelmed. And I'm sure you're already aware of most of that process, if not all of it. And for a while, artists were genuinely able to take advantage of new technologies to reach audiences through this framework. But let's now consider some of the wider disruptive forces that have changed the success of DIY music releases over the last 10 years, because they will without a doubt, affect your releases too. So the first one I want to flag up is Spotify. Now, far from being an evil disruptive force for DIY musicians, in the beginning, Spotify was actually a pretty wonderful platform to get your music out for the first time without a major label or even an indie label. I myself have experienced phenomenal success releasing music on Spotify, which I am incredibly grateful to be able to say, but I'm not convinced I could replicate this now in 2021. The issue is how Spotify has changed and developed over the last few years, not just the measly royalty payouts it gives to artists. Spotify came out as a response to illegal streaming piracy during the 2000s, After the rise of the internet and file sharing online, Spotify offered a legal route to stream music. So far, so good. The platform was properly launched in 2008, and I released my first album on it on 2010, so I got right in there at the beginning, and I'm glad that I did. The issue is, though, that now it's become the main way that people discover music, and is even more important than radio, music blogs, or TV in this regard. If you're anything younger than a geriatric millennial, you'll be thinking, uh, yeah, duh. But believe me, it used to be different. <laughs> Top of the Pops was like the most coveted music playlist out there. But because of this, record labels have obviously monopolised how music gets pushed on the platform. 
In fact, according to an article in the Swedish news site The Local, the world's biggest four music labels are responsible for 87% of content available on Spotify. Obviously, these record labels have a lot more money than you or I to promote their content, not just in the form of paid ads, but also in terms of forming relationships with radio DJs and playlist editors who have a big say in what music gets delivered to people's ears. More listens equals more money, but not anywhere near enough money. Just 0.0023 pence per stream. Just to put that into context... You would need half a million streams just to make a thousand pounds on your music. And that's not easy. And that means you need to be really powerful and rich to push your music on this platform now, rather than relying on organically going viral. And I did go viral on this platform, but I strongly doubt that that would happen now. Record companies have monopolised streaming far too much for a tiny DIY artist such as myself to break through. Even though it does still happen, it seems to happen less. In an article in Fortune magazine, Spotify is quoted as saying, no one can pay to be added to one of Spotify's editorial playlists. Spotify states, our editors make these decisions using data about what's resonating most with their community of listeners. But there's no doubt that connections, a big brand and a healthy promo budget behind you really does help. And of course, there's the algorithm. Now, I really don't want to say that algorithms are evil either. In fact, algorithms can be highly effective at getting your music in front of people who would normally never listen to it. There is nothing wrong with algorithms in and of themselves. It's just how we as humans shape and use them. And your music is much more likely to be added to an algorithmic playlist if you're already being streamed like crazy elsewhere on Spotify. Therefore, if you're with a label who have paid for a massive cross-platform promotional campaign, bingo. The second disruptive force is Facebook advertising. So this is kind of a similar story to Spotify in that once upon a time, Facebook and all social media really was a really effective way for DIY artists to connect with new fans, share their music and reach people in a way they would never have been able to before. I myself have used social media for the last decade to promote and share what I do and I cannot really imagine releasing music or promoting anything else without it now. However, Like Spotify, big companies and big global business has pounced on this. And I don't really need to explain how to many of you listening right now, I'm sure. But it means that Facebook has designed the platform so that unless you pay for a post to be seen, it's not going to reach most of your audience. There are people who have built up an active, thriving and organic following. And that's not to take away from the possibility of this. But it's become increasingly difficult and nowadays if you don't pay for advertising, you will not get your posts seen by your followers hardly as much as you used to. Now, it makes total business sense. If more people are going to see your post, if you pay a few pounds to get it seen as a DIY artist, then you're going to be having people paying for advertising who would never have done so before on Facebook and Facebook make money. And it's not to say that this is entirely wrong. I have no problem with advertising on social media, actually. It's more that nowadays this is the only way that you will get more than even a handful of people seeing your news and posts in order to use the platform to promote what you're doing. 
So I believe that if you have a following, if you have people who have liked your page, they should see your posts regardless of whether you pay for them. If you want to reach new audiences, by all means, I'll pay for an advert. This has obviously massively disrupted how effective and enjoyable releasing music can be as a DIY artist because often you are disappointed by the lack of engagement and the reach on what you're putting out there. So if you've been disheartened by the lack of engagement on your posts and the lack of reach for your music on social media, please know that this is actually something that has changed over the last few years and something they've built into the algorithm to encourage you to pay for advertising. And if you definitely want people to be seeing your posts and therefore hopefully discovering your music, if you want that to be effective, it's going to have to be paid for. And my third disruptive force is COVID-19. I'm going to have to address the elephant in the room. This has really changed and disrupted the way that people release music. For over a year, it has been impossible to apply many of the music release tactics as would have been done so before, especially those using live gigs to share new music with new and existing audiences. Live shows is how so many of us have enjoyed discovering music in the past. It's not just about the music you've come to listen to, it's also about the whole experience of leaving your house, meeting friends, maybe even meeting new people, or just being in a room with people and feeling that collective atmosphere, being part of a local scene and supporting venues and artists that you care about. All of that happens before anyone's even played a note, and this is why it's such an important part of music for our local community, and also nationally and internationally too but also for DIY artists because it's such an immersive, engaging way to share your music with people and it's a vital part of promoting and releasing new music. For example, if you're playing live shows as part of your release, you are far more likely to shift that merchandise you've potentially pressed in the form of CDs, vinyls and even T-shirts so much more. There absolutely have been many artists using online merch platforms like Bandcamp's Full Potential like never before over the pandemic. But they will be the first to tell you it's massively different from being in a live gig where you can invite the audience to come and chat with you over the merch stall. This means that not only does the absence of live gigs to promote your DIY release potentially make it harder to find new audiences, you're also less likely to shift merchandise and therefore make money back on your album release. Releasing music does cost money, even if you're just paying for 100 CDs. And the main way you're going to make that money back is through selling merch at live gigs. Selling merch online is harder and therefore the pandemic has really changed the way that self-releasing feels, but also practically makes sense for a DIY artist. All of these disruptive forces, whether it be how massive tech conglomerates like Spotify or Facebook monopolise the business of releasing music all the way through to how the circumstances of the last 15 months has changed the way that we can experience and share music, have made releasing music at best very different and at worst incredibly difficult and challenging compared to 10 years previously. And these forces may have massively impacted how much you enjoy or feel capable of effectively releasing your music. As well as these wider disruptors, though, that I just described, there are also personal disruptive factors and even just circumstances that change how you want to or can release your music. To illustrate this, my own story is pretty relevant. 
When I first started releasing music, I was an entirely able-bodied musician in my 20s, eager to forge a music career. Like I shared in episode one of the podcast, I had grown pretty tired of bashing my head against the brick wall of doing numerous gigs in London in the hopes of getting signed and not getting anywhere. And if you want to check that episode out, just go to femalediymusician.com forward slash zero one. The creative control and opportunities that self-releasing gave me was so liberating and also connected me with fellow musicians and new audiences in wholly new and more nourishing ways. And it was a lot of work. I had to learn so many new things and spin so many plates. I could be writing a press release in the morning, uploading a new release with ISRC codes and all that jazz in the afternoon before doing a radio interview in the early evening and then playing a live gig afterwards too. But I had the stamina. And as my health started to get worse and worse, beginning with tinnitus, then leading to years of debilitating chronic pain, which I still live with to this day, although not to the same extent, releasing became harder and harder. So much so that when releasing my most recent album, Chalk Flint, in 2017, this felt more like a process of impossible hurdles rather than an exciting pathway to new opportunities with my music. Being unable to use my hands, literally for even washing my own hair for periods, meant that releasing an album felt really, really hard. I had to pay for assistance to do anything with a computer and doing live gigs became so much more challenging than I've ever experienced before. Not being able to play an instrument live meant that I was handing over essential parts of the performance that I would normally have done myself to other people and I also found carrying the most basic of equipment impossible while trying to manage the amount of pain that I was in. Added to that, I had experienced a lot of success with my previous album and so felt a lot of pressure, even if just internally, to make this album a success as well, and had invested much more money than I've ever done so before to make this release more comprehensive and professional than the others. One month before the release of Chalk Flint, I injured my voice, which led to being unable to talk for months and left me feeling totally lost as to how to continue as a musician. This did mean that I then started teaching others and eventually led to me making my course, Home Recording Academy, and this very podcast that you're listening to now, dear listener. But now, even though my health is in a much better place, if not back to how it was, I look at releasing another album and the idea of it exhausts me. The relentless nature of having to constantly feed out content online and also do numerous gigs, if that's even possible at the moment means, for me at least, conventional music releasing isn't particularly attractive. And I've thought about other ways to share my music, which I'll get into in a minute. But for you, your circumstances could be different. You could have a different chronic health issue or disability that makes releasing your music in the conventional sense untenable like me. But it could also be that, for example, you're a parent. And if that's the case, I highly recommend you check out episode 32 of the podcast, all about motherhood and music. You'll find that at femalediymusician.com forward slash 32. So check that out. But parenthood could legitimately make releasing your music in the conventional sense really hard because you're just not able to fully commit 110% to pushing your music relentlessly for months at a time. 
It could also be that you have experienced a bereavement recently, or perhaps you've experienced a really difficult breakup, or maybe the loss of a job. There could be lots of things that you're grieving right now, and releasing new music in the conventional sense just may not feel realistic or doable. And all of the above, and the many more other scenarios I could have listed, are legitimate reasons why conventional music releasing may not be tenable or attractive or even necessary for you right now as a DIY artist, and why approaching the question of sharing your music from different perspectives may be really necessary and exciting. In fact, to me, even being in the position where you have to ask the question, is conventional music releasing working for DIY artists right now, means there are really exciting possibilities out there because it means that I can do something differently, which may be new, unique and far more rewarding. That's where I'm at and I think the most successful DIY artists are always responding to their circumstances and finding new ways to keep their music feeling exciting and rewarding, including how it's shared and discovered. Once again, I want to emphasise that you're not going to enjoy every element of releasing your music, just like you may not necessarily enjoy every element of making and performing it. But just even asking this question for me feels good And asking this question has led me to cooking up something I'm genuinely excited about. So I started thinking about the way that I would want to experience new music right now. In truth, I don't get a lot from just streaming somebody's new album on Spotify. I mean, I do do that, and I do listen to a lot of music in that way, but I love it when I can discover a new artist or reconnect with an artist that I really care about through a more multifaceted experience. Like we've covered, COVID has taken away the most common way that we do this through live gigs, and so it really got me thinking about how to share music online, but with more dimensions than an MP3 file, for example. So I decided to make a whole new collection of music, but that music is going to exist in the form of an online escape room. This is just an initial idea and there's lots to be refined, but the idea would be that when you land in this online escape room, which will be obviously hosted on a website, every time you solve a piece of the overall riddle, you get through to a new part of the game. And therefore, I'm not necessarily inviting people to come and experience my album. I'm inviting people to have an experience online with my music as a part of a wider world, a world that depends on their input for it to unfold, and that feels so much more me as an artist right now. Because I've become much more visual in the way that I'm thinking about my work, and there's an alter ego called Sally that I started developing that I want to work into this project. She's a sort of blue alien and is very much influenced by my experience of chronic pain and disability. And this online escape room format feels more multidimensional and appropriate to this idea than a traditional album release. And if what I'm doing is going to have to be online, whether that be because of COVID or my own circumstances, I want to make it really worth somebody spending that time with my work. And I'm not convinced that the way streaming platforms and social media have changed how we listen to music and value music is really enough to help others truly experience and appreciate something that I've made and put a lot of time and effort and care into. Because believe me, I know how much time and energy goes into releasing an album. And while it can still be totally worthwhile, 
it's very hard to break even, both financially and energetically. So my thinking is, why not just do something totally different, totally bonkers, and see where it lands? Because truly, you and I have nothing to lose, and that is the opportunity here. And that's what's more exciting to me. So I really hope that gave you some food for thought, maybe sparked some ideas for you, and at the very least, just helped articulate why self-releasing may have felt daunting, overwhelming, and sometimes not particularly satisfying as a DIY artist. I also want to emphasise again and again and again that everything I said is very personal in terms of how this all fits together for you as an artist and self-releasing your music can be one of the most empowering things you'll ever do as a musician. It's so important for even just stating to yourself that you're taking your music seriously, that you even have a musical identity and that you want to allow your music to be out there for people to discover, rather than keeping it hidden in your head. I would still wholeheartedly tell anybody that this process is really worth embarking on, in the conventional sense or otherwise, so please don't let this episode put you off. But I hope I've given you clarity over how some of the key contributing systems are set up and therefore how exciting it could be to subvert and disrupt them too, when you next share your own music. Do something totally different and even totally bonkers and weird and wonderful and unique to you as an artist. Like I said before, I really do believe the artists who embrace this ethos and find new routes forward when things either don't work or change are the ones that grow and develop a truly fulfilling career that lasts for the long haul. The bottom line is, it's your music and it's your career and luckily we have lots of ways that we can take control of this and call the shots and make really creative plans for putting our art out into the world. So use those platforms, even those algorithms and use those systems in creative ways, in new ways, rather than feeling like you have to put up with or change a system that is not set up for you. In fact, anyone who tells you that you have to release music in a very rigid, very one-dimensional way is probably not someone that you should be listening to right now. Because everything has changed and is going to change again and again and again over the coming months and years. So you may as well share your music in a way that excites you and play with it and allow it to grow and become something totally unique and be patient and allow your music to do that at its own pace. And if you want to get your hands on my free PDF guide, 10 free tools to start recording your music right now, then go to femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel. That's femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel, where you can download your free PDF resource right now. Now, in next week's episode, I'm going to be talking about a really fascinating subject, and that is the emotional component of sound. You see, sometimes music production is seen as something that is very much grounded in the technicalities of a particular door or hardware, and that is true in certain respects. But what cannot be overlooked is the emotional component inherent in sound and how it's put together in the studio, whether that's at home or elsewhere. 
So I'm going to be taking you on an exhilarating journey, dear listener, into how we can harness this in our own work so we make music that truly connects and tells a story, abstract or otherwise. But till then, take care, and I'll catch you here soon. Girls Twiddling Knobs is hosted and produced by me, Isabel Anderson, with production support from Francesca O'Connor and is a female DIY musician production. So, how do you like that episode, dear listener? If you loved it, and you know someone else who would love it too, be a good friend and share it with them. Go on, spread the girls' twiddling knobs love.